Hi, Adam here. This is Deep Convection, but this is a little bit of a different episode than usual. I don't have any guest with me here today. We're calling this episode about Deep Convection, and I'm just going to talk about the podcast, how we do it, why we do it, how it got started, who are the people involved, and that kind of stuff. What happened was we do seasons uh, of about 10 episodes each, and during the season we release them every two weeks, and we got a little behind in our schedule, and we could see that we probably weren't going to have an episode to release on time. And I thought we could either leave a gap or do some other kind of episode that is a little easier to produce quickly. And I asked Melanie for suggestions, and she said, why don't you take listener questions, and uh, you can answer them. So I went on social media, and I got some questions, and I got actually a great list of questions, and I was really excited about doing it. And I sat down to record my answers, and I thought before answering them, I should just explain a few things about the podcast and and like I just explained now about why there's a gap in the schedule. But I wanted to say a few more things. And as I got started, I realized that there was a whole lot of things I wanted to say to you, our audience. And I really do feel like I know the audience of this podcast. I mean, I surely don't know everybody and I don't even really know how big the audience is. But I know we have a lot of listeners who work in the field of climate science and adjacent fields. Many uh, send me messages or, or say hello to me at conferences. And I find that we end up having conversations about the podcast and I end up explaining a lot of things. And I just thought, why not explain those things in an episode? So that's what it is. I'm going to tell you about the podcast for a little while. And that's this episode. So if you've never listened to the podcast before, this is probably not the best episode to start with. I would suggest listening to some other ones with guests and then maybe, if you're really interested, come back and listen to this one. But if you're part of our regular audience and you have any interest in this podcast and how it comes about and what goes into it, you might want to listen to me talk for this little while. Anyway, there it is. So see you on the other side. All right, let's start at the beginning. I don't want to do my whole life story, but I think to understand what this podcast is and why it exists and what purpose it serves, uh, I need to go back pretty far. So when I was young and I thought about what I wanted to do with my life career-wise, uh, my views changed over time as I was a kid and a teenager and in college and so on, but the Things that were constant, that have always been constant, are I want to have an intellectual challenge. I want to solve interesting problems. I want to be able to be creative in my work. And I want to do something that I believe has a positive impact in the world. I don't have excessively high hopes. I don't think I'm going to save the world. I'm not a hugely self-sacrificing person. But uh, I want to feel that the positive outweighs the negative when I look at the ledger of what I'm doing or what I've done, however one does that accounting. And also, I want to have a decent life, which means make a living. And I think maybe most of us want those things. Anyway, so um, although I was interested in science from a young age, um, when I got out of college, I wanted to be a musician. I was into jazz and other types of music. And 
I tried that for a couple of years and then I gave up on it. And as I was deciding to go back to science, uh, my wife, Marit Larson, we weren't married yet, but same woman. She was always a big environmentalist, environmental scientist. And she said to me, Adam, if I had your training in physics and I was going to go back to science, I would study meteorology and do global warming. And after I learned a little bit about it, I, um, I did that. And my reasoning was that, uh, first of all, as I learned something about the field, I thought it was fascinating intellectually, that there was a lot of interesting work to do and uh, that it might be possible for me to do it. And also that it would contribute something because um, not just climate change, but also the ozone hole, which was a problem back then. This was the early 90s and my PhD thesis ended up being sort of about that. Uh, so, you know, I figured, well, I didn't really want to get into the policy side. I didn't really want to be an activist. I didn't, you know, I was too introverted to really think about any of that too hard. But I thought, well, you know, these problems need science. So I can do that science and then I can feel good about myself by solving uh, interesting problems. All right. And then, you know, in the early part of my scientific career, that's how I approached it. I just uh, wanted to do the research and I figured it would have some relevance eventually, but I was really writing for my peers, as I think most scientists do. And even in my early days in this job at Columbia, uh, I didn't want to work on global warming. I thought it was too political or something. And um, that changed, you know, over the first few, my first few years here. But, you know, I was doing science for science's sake. I think I had an urge on some level to contribute to the broader public conversation about climate, but I, I didn't really see any way to do that. And I was focused on getting tenure and, you know, we had, I had young kids and I was just keeping my head down and doing the work. Then, uh, 2012, I'd been in this job a little over 12 years and Hurricane Sandy hit New York City and the surrounding area. And that, uh, all of a sudden put me in the public spotlight. I started doing TV the, uh, week before the storm and then a huge amount of TV and radio during and after landfall lasted for months and I ended up writing a book about it. And that all that activity caused me to think more broadly. I mean, it caused me to see viscerally that the work I was involved in had some relevance. I believed that in some abstract level before, but, you know, to have people asking me to talk on TV about it and so on made me feel it more that the world cares about what we're doing here and that it's connected to big questions that are not purely scientific and but have to do with how science relates to what happens in the world. So, and and I started talking to people in the insurance industry and thinking about how to do more applied work. So all that was happening. And around that same time, I don't remember exactly when it happened, but I first heard the podcast of Mark Marin. So Mark Marin, I probably haven't said this on the podcast before, but he's, and I've never met him, but he's a critically important person to how this happened. So he's a comedian. He has a great podcast called WTF. Um, where he interviews, uh, it used to be just other comedians and then now it's become other people too, but he still interviews comedians. And, um, and it was one of the first podcasts to be really successful and famous in the early days of podcasting. And I discovered it along with a lot of other people after an article came out about him in the New York Times. And then I started listening to it. And I just loved it. And, um, part of what I loved about it and still love about it is that when Mark interviews another comedian, it's two people that have the same weird job and uh, we all know what comedy sounds like. And I actually love comedy that probably helped me to appreciate Mark's podcast, but 
but we don't really know how comedians do their work or how they become comedians or what they do over the years. And But they all kind of know each other and they've been through some of the same things. So the two of them having a conversation, you know, where they sometimes sort of translate things for the for the uh, civilians, but not uh, so much. They just sort of talking to each other. And I just found that you understand what they're up to and you connect with them in a more direct and real way than if they're inter- being interviewed by a professional journalist. You know, Terry Gross can get a good interview out of anybody, but she can't get the same interview out of a comedian that Mark Marin can because they know the same people. They've worked in the same places. They've gone through the same weird things. And so that appealed to me. And I thought, you know, you could do this with scientists. Somebody, you could, you could do this with anybody. Any two people that have the same profession could have this kind of conversation where one of them is asking the other about their life and what they've done and their work and how they got to be that way and whatever their other deep thoughts or shallow thoughts are. That's a thought that I had. And I thought maybe even I could do this, but I wasn't going to do it. I had no intent really to do, to do a podcast. I just was too busy and I seemed like way too much work. And it was really just an idle uh, thought. And that's where it was for a number of years, but I was just a fan of Mark Marin. And then um, the next thing to say about this story is that Donald Trump was elected president. And that knocked the stuffing out of me, like a lot of people. I was uh, really traumatized and depressed uh, for the whole Trump era, but especially the first couple of years. I just, um, it really seemed like I wasn't living in the same country I'd grown up in anymore. And it made me reflect on what's my place in history. When you learn about World War II and the Holocaust and fascism in Europe, for example, or any other, you know, really traumatic big historical events, I think anybody who's reflective is, is prone to think, well, geez, what would I have done if I had been there? You know, how would I have acted if I was in this historically important situation where terrible things were happening and people got caught in up in it or they didn't or whatever? And, um, I had never, you know, that had always been an abstract thought, but Trump really made me think, geez, you know, if, if American democracy is ending, and I, I thought maybe it was, and I still think maybe it is, uh, although the last few years have been a little easier, but I still, um, uh, feel that, you know, what, what, what am I doing with my life? Where am I? You know, what am I contributing? And I didn't really, um, I did some political activism, but really I thought, well, most of my energy in my life goes into my work. So I thought, what's the point of the work I'm doing? And that accelerated my thinking about um, doing usable science, as we might say. But it also meant that as I had another sabbatical coming up in early 2020, I was thinking, let me write another book. I had really enjoyed writing the first one. It had been very satisfying and you know, didn't sell a lot, but whatever. I got a lot of positive feedback on it and a lot of uh, um, you know, satisfaction. And uh, I thought, let me write another book. But I couldn't write another book that was like that one. Storm Surge is really a book of you know a scientist explaining science to the public and some other things, but that's my fundamental persona and voice in that book. And I thought, well, if I'm going to write another one, it has to somehow be more political. And I didn't really know how to do that. But I tried. I tried to write another book uh, while I was on sabbatical. And I just, it was a failure. I, I couldn't find my voice. And I was struggling with that before the sabbatical started. I started trying to write before that. I couldn't, I just couldn't figure out, why would anybody listen to what I have to say 
about political things and I couldn't decide how personal to get about it. I couldn't decide. I just couldn't. I, I, I didn't like anything I'd written. And um, I was talking to a friend and colleague, Deborah Cohen, who is a historian of science, great historian of science. Look up her work, C-O-E-N. Uh, used to be at Barnard uh, and now at Yale. And we used to talk, we still do. We, 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 we talked a lot about these issues and, and um, we would talk about writing. She's always writing things. I'm always writing things. So I talked to her about my struggle and she said, Adam, why don't you write about, you know, what it's like to be you guys, climate scientists in this time, this, this uh, era where the political situation is so fraught. And I thought that's a good idea, but you know, I, I, I wasn't succeeding in doing it. But that idea was helpful to, to write it from my own perspective rather than trying to see it from, you know, from a, from some higher place just to say what it's like to be us. But I still couldn't find my voice. And as I was talking to her about that, I can't remember if it was one, one conversation or several. It was probably several. But Debbie said, well, why don't you, why don't you interview your colleagues? Why don't you interview your colleagues? Just talk to them uh, and uh, gather their thoughts and their feelings and their experiences and don't don't uh, have any preconceived notions of what you're going to do with it. Just consider it to be research and maybe that'll help you uh, eventually figure out uh, how to write or what to write. And I really like that idea because, you know, writer's block is writer's block. You can struggle, but I figured recording things, you know, you buy a microphone and you talk to somebody and all you have to do is make the time and then you have some material anyway to work with. So I thought, okay, that's a way I can get started and do something. And so I bought a microphone, one microphone, and I decided to start interviewing some colleagues with no intent to to use the audio for anything. And um, two of the first people I talked to about this were my two PhD students. I had two outstanding PhD students at that time, Zane Martin and Melanie Bielli. Both are still working in the field, both in the private sector. Uh, excellent scientists. Zane is at PricewaterhouseCooper and Melanie's at uh, Swiss Re. They both got their PhD with me, uh, 2018, 2019, 2020. Jeez, um, I should get those dates right. Anyway, so I, I told them, uh, Zane and Melanie, I, I'd like to interview you both for this research project I'm doing, whatever it is. And they said, okay. And I interviewed Zane first. Again, no intent to use the audio. I had only one mic, so it didn't, you know, it doesn't sound very good. You really need two mics to be able to adjust levels uh, separately if you want to use the audio, but I recorded it. And then, um, I hadn't got to Melanie yet. She lived in uh, New Jersey and we didn't, you know, it wasn't as easy to coordinate, but one day she was in my office in Manhattan and, and she was there to talk about her PhD thesis, uh, as we did. And, and I said, by the way, Melanie, don't forget, um, I, I did Zane already, but I want to interview you for this research project. And she looked at me, she said, you know, you should do a podcast. And, um, I should probably say Melanie is a very athletic person. She logged uh, then and now logs a lot of hours on her bicycle. Our two campuses that we work on at Columbia, Lamont and uh, Morningside are about, I don't know, 15 miles away or something. And she's the only person I've ever known in 24 years in this job who commutes between those two locations regularly, uh, several, you know, two or three times a week, only by bicycle. Other people do it occasionally, but... She's the only person I've seen it do it essentially only by bike, unless there was a snowstorm or something. So she listened to a lot of podcasts on her bike. And that's what I guess led her to think that way. And I was taken aback for a second. And um, 
Of course, I had thought about it before because of Mark Marin, And I said, well, geez, Melanie, you know, thank you for saying that. I've actually thought about it and I'm, I'm flattered that you think I would be a good uh, podcaster, but I don't have time for, the, for it. This job keeps me super busy. I'm already stressed out with all the things I have to do. You know, I have a million meetings and I'm trying to get my papers written and I have a family, blah, 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 blah. I don't have time for doing a podcast. And she said, well, it wouldn't be that hard, really, would it? How much work would it be? I'm really still uh, really grateful to Melanie that she didn't end the conversation, <laughs> you know, too quickly. And and I said, well, I, you know, we talked about it for a while. And after a few minutes, I said, well, if I do it, would you help me? And she thought about it for a second and then said yes. I mean, my memory of the conversation, to summarize the rest of the conversation, my memory is that that she kind of talked me into it. Her memory is that I, I wasn't very difficult to talk me into it. But anyway, that's where we ended up. And then we uh, proceeded over the next few weeks to have a number of conversations about why did we want to do it? What should it be about? Uh, who should the guests be? Uh, for format, content, you know, how to distribute it, how many to do at a time, you know, all the details we thought through. Maybe it was months. Uh, we recorded a few practice things to see how it would go. I bought the gear, you know. Uh, in the beginning, I I had uh, the idea that Melanie would have a speaking role on it, and I tried to convince her to do that. Not that we'd do it together, but that maybe she'd be the interviewer sometimes and interview some people. Uh, and she thought about it and practiced and tried for a while and then decided she didn't want to do it. And we ended up where we are. But that's, to make a long story short, the origin of the podcast. Okay, so now uh, let's talk about the rest of what it takes to make this podcast, including who all is involved, uh, including Melanie, but also everybody else and what they do. So let's start with Melanie. We call her my co-creator and creative director. The first part I've now just explained, she was the co-creator. And creative director is a title we made up, but basically we talk about all the issues around the podcast, planning the seasons, thinking through the guest list. Um, she listens to the episodes and gives feedback on them, um, sometimes down to specific edits, but more just generally what works and what doesn't work. Um, she runs the website and, and deals with our contract with our service provider that to, so you can listen to it on the various platforms and um, writes the little blog entries for each episode on our website, although now those are tend to be based on the intros uh, to each guest that I write. But anyway... That's what Melanie does, and it would never have happened without her. So the next person I want to talk about is um, Minnie Jardine. Minnie uh, is listed as my creative consultant and spiritual advisor, and that might sound a little hokey. Um, maybe I was listening to the car talk credits uh, too many times, but it's true. So Minnie is the wife of one of my wife's oldest childhood friends. Uh, Matt Cooper. He's an architect now in Texas. But Minnie's his wife. And so I've known her uh, a long time, many decades. And um, uh, for about, I don't know, 15 years uh, of the time that we've been here at uh, in New York City, Matt and Minnie lived in Ithaca, in the area of Ithaca, New York, upstate in the Finger Lakes region. And we used to visit them a lot. And so... Um, uh, we used to talk about a lot of things and, you know, in the Trump 
years, Minnie saw everything I was going through. And um, then when I started doing the podcast, I mean, we hadn't put it out yet, but I had just started thinking about it and recording. And, and she was just immediately interested. She said, wait, can I hear this? So I, I let her hear the first episodes uh, we recorded. And she was just immediately uh, hooked into it for whatever reason. Minnie just connected with it. She gave me a lot of encouragement and feedback on the different episodes. And just immediately she became part of the enterprise because I sent her every uh, recording and I know that she can count. Uh, I know that I can count on many to listen to them and tell me what she thinks. And she also became kind of a specialist in my introduction. So, you know, I record the interviews with the guest and then afterward I record the introduction that you hear at the beginning of the episode where I talk about them. And when I record those intros, I send them to Minnie right away. Uh, uh, she's the only person I send them to. She listens to them usually very quickly and tells me what she thinks and she can be very tough. I've sometimes had to re-record them several times to make Minnie happy. And although I think I've gotten better at it now, um, and, uh, that's what Minnie does. Now, Minnie herself, uh, has done a lot of different things in her life, but she's a first and foremost, an artist. She's a painter. You can see her work at minniejardine.com, M-I-N-N-I-E-J-A-R-D-I-N-E.com. And, um, she's also worked for many years as a yoga teacher. So the spiritual advisor part, you know, kind of comes from there maybe. And anyway, Minnie is not a scientist at all. Uh, so her perspective is really, really valuable to me because, I mean, she and Melanie, are the only people that I routinely send the recordings to in advance of their release, other than the, the people at Duotone, which I'll get to in a second. But they're the ones who, the two people who listen and give me feedback. And of course, Melanie's in the field. So she gets all the references. She knows the people, you know, she knows the science and so on. So that's obviously an important perspective. But Minnie doesn't know all of that. And so that's an equally important perspective because, uh, you know, I'll talk about our you, our audience um, later, but, you know, it's mostly people in the field, but we don't want it to be that you have to be in the field to appreciate it. We'd like it to be, you know, when people, we started planning this podcast and people would ask, well, who's your audience going to be? And the answer we came up with was, well, it has to start with the people in the field. If the people in the field don't like it, then we're doing something wrong. But we'd like to believe that there's more of an audience out there than just people in the field and that you can be interested, you know, in the way uh, that um, I think listening to Mark Maron is interesting, even if you're not a comedian. So many once said to me, you know, Adam, I like listening to the podcast because I don't get all the science, but it's like being at a cocktail party and you hear two people with an interesting job talking about it. You don't understand everything, but you, you, it's interesting and you learn something. And that's what we want it to be. And Minnie is the person where I get that perspective from her. So she does that and, uh, and also just, you know, makes me feel that it's worthy. You know, in pre- preparation to do this episode, I, I called up um, a couple of people I'm talking about here, and one of them was Minnie. And uh, she told me that being involved in this podcast has meant something to her and that it's even influenced her art. And that was really flattering and meaningful. And it just made me feel that what we're doing here is not just a science thing. It's a human thing. And, um, you know, that's what, that's what Minnie puts into it. And it's, it's been uh, important since the beginning. Now, Duotone Audio and the people there. Let's talk about that. So it takes a lot to make a decent sounding podcast. I mean, it doesn't take that much, really. I mean, the technology is 
pretty great nowadays. It's not hard to afford a decent microphone and so on, the few other things you need to make a, a recording. But, uh, you know, some podcasts sound like they're recorded live on Zoom and, and they're, or Skype or something, and they, they just sound terrible. And I, we didn't want to do that. We wanted to have some level of production value. And that means uh, not just sound. I mean, I, I do my own recording. So I'm, this, I'm the recording engineer on this. But it means some editing and some, uh, some, some audio post-production. That's why this podcast generally sounds pretty decent. Sometimes it sounds bad. That's usually because of remote recording uh, technology issues. But, and so we knew we wanted that. And we knew that we probably needed some help. You know, I'm not a professional. So we talked to a few people when we were putting it together to see if we could find somebody who would help with this for some reasonable price. But the conversation that went somewhere was with my old friend, Pete Nichelle. So Pete Nichelle, N-A-S-H-E-L, is a, um, we were musicians together back in college. We played jazz and other things. He was a tenor sax player, a really great one. I was a trumpet player, not quite as great. And, but anyway, um, we've been friends since then, long, long time. And, uh, he stayed in music and I didn't. And he's become very, very successful. Um, he has his own business called Duotone Audio that he started many years ago. And it it did advertising. It still does advertising. Pete himself now mostly does film and TV scores. I don't want to try to list all his credits because I'll forget more than I you know remember. But he did, for example, I, Tanya, Marco Polo on Netflix, uh, recently, he did a Boris Becker documentary on Apple TV, um, Alaska Daily on, I think, ABC it is. You know, those are just a few recent ones. But, you know, Pete's a great, a great musician and also somebody who knows the commercial music business and owns a recording studio uh, in New York City with a bunch of very talented employees. So I was talking to Pete about it and how we were trying to figure things out. And I really wasn't going to ask him to help me because I thought, you know, these people are serious professionals and their time is worth a lot. And we can't, you know, our little amateur podcast isn't worth their time. But Pete said, you know, why don't, why don't you let us do it? And we'll do it pro bono. And um, so that's what we've done. So what did they do at Duotone? Um, editing and audio posts. So um, I give them some initial suggestions on the editing, but then they... They do it, cut them down from the original long recordings to something slightly less long, and sometimes clean up some ums and ahs, and then we iterate on that a little bit, and then they do some audio posts to make it sound good on the air, you know, compression and whatever other magic they do. And they've been doing that now since the beginning. Different people have done it. Originally, it was Dana Hom was our uh, our first editor. She uh, runs the business at Duotone now. Stefan Wiener was our editor for a while, and now Eugenio Gonzalez um, does both the editing and the audio post, the final stage. We had other engineers have worked on it uh, in the past, but Eugenio has done the last season or so, a little more, I think. Uh, Eugenio, by the way, is a musician. Uh, you can find his music, uh, Gino Gonzalez. You can find him, is what he goes by. You can find it on Spotify and elsewhere. Totally groovy, awesome music. Anyway, so they do it. Uh, pro bono. And uh, I just am so grateful to them. It makes this a professional product in a way that no way would it be if it was just me. And lastly, we have original theme music that you hear at the beginning of every episode. And that is by my son, Eli Sobel. Eli uh, is not a professional musician, but he was pretty into it in high school and college. And in college, we asked him 
to write us a little theme and he did it and it was great and we still use it. He is now uh, on his way to becoming a scientist and along the way he's in fact heading out now to do some big uh, adventure, long distance hiking and other adventures in the world before starting his PhD in biology. Uh, so that's the team and what everybody does. It's really much more than me, even if you can't necessarily tell that when you listen. All those contributions make it what it is and enable me to keep doing it. And it's really kind of a family uh, activity. I mean, to some extent, literally, that's what you're hearing when you listen to this podcast. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about you know what we want to achieve here. What's the point of these conversations? As maybe you can tell, either from what I just said or from if you've listened to the podcast before or if you've read things I've written in the last few years, I've been struggling with the purpose of what we do in climate science. People who, like me, are trying to do interesting, creative, intellectual work, understand the universe and all of that, but at the same time contribute something by engaging with a problem that's of huge importance to society, and that's also politically charged in a very polarized and somewhat dysfunctional and contentious and uh, sometimes just awful political environment. So, you know, why uh, the things I've been struggling with that motivate me to do this are, you know, why are we doing this? Why did we get into science? And if we say that it's helping in the world, what do we mean by that? Is it really, how does that work? How should it work? and so on. So I want to explore those things, but I, I don't come right at it directly. My model, again, is Mark Marin, and the basic style of the interviews is something I ripped off from him. So I try to, you know, let the guests speak. I First and foremost is hearing from them and understanding where they're coming from, because uh, science is a social activity, and, you know, who wants to just hear me talk, even though you're doing that right now? And Melanie and I have talked about it many times, trying to decide which guests to have on and so on. And we think about a lot of different things. We think about various sorts of diversity. And, uh, you know, we want to have some guests who are the really famous great scientists in the field, but we definitely don't want to make that the primary consideration. And, you know, it's interesting to have people who've done different things and who've come from different countries. And you probably know that I'm particularly fascinated by uh, how people make decisions, how people make decisions about their lives, about their careers, when they come to things where some random thing happens and people end up doing something different than they thought they would do. You know, all that stuff is fascinating. But as we've talked about it over the early weeks and months and then in the years since, the thing that Melanie has always come back to whenever I've seemed to be floundering is she said, look, the main thing is, is it a good conversation or not? That's the bottom line here. And so that's how we choose the guests. So sometimes people have pitched guests to me or sometimes people have pitched themselves. And I mean, first of all, please don't, nobody should be insulted. I, this podcast is a, 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 a totally volunteer activity. It happens very slowly. There's hundreds and thousands of people like we could interview that, that I will never get to. And um, it's a little bit random, but the number one thing is, is a good conversation. And because I'm not a professional interviewer, the thing that makes me the best able to be confident that it'll be a good conversation is if I've had a good conversation with that person before. So that's why a lot of people you've heard on this podcast or you will hear if you listen to it in the future 
are people that I know to one degree or another and have spoken to before. And sometimes they're people that I don't know that well, but I have some reason to think that we'll be able to have a good conversation. And, and you know, that, that factors in my limitations as well as theirs. If I can't have a good conversation with somebody or I'm not confident that I will, it's not necessarily about them. It might be about me or whatever the chemistry is. But sometimes there's other considerations. Sometimes I'm fascinated by a piece of science or something else somebody's done. And sometimes it's just that they've had an interesting, you know, life. I mean, you know, another Jivanji played in rock bands and uh, you know so on and and recently you know we and even from the beginning we, we but to varying degrees over the few years we've been doing it we, i've tried to have not just academic and scientists but also people doing some who have other lines of work and there's been a bit more of that this season but anyway that that's how we choose the guests uh it's long form you know these podcasts are long because that's the only way i know how to do it I don't really have a list of questions. We go through people's life and career and it takes what it takes. And then I usually have a couple things I wanted to talk to them about and we get into that. And then it just goes where it goes. And I don't have a way, I don't have a, the, the skill to keep it tight. And so we try to edit them down a bit afterwards, but we usually only get so far because there's always stuff that I just can't, too much stuff that I can't bring myself to cut. So it's long and you know, you need a good long commute to get through it. Our process of making this podcast is very slow. I guess first I should say, this is a totally volunteer effort. Maybe I said that before. Nobody's getting paid for this at all. I'm not. Duotone does it pro bono. You know, Melanie and Minnie do it for free. Eli didn't charge us for the music. Everybody's busy. Everybody has their own stuff going on. Everybody has jobs, careers, families. I mean, Melanie has a three-year-old right now, you know, and a full-time job and a husband. I mean, it's... uh Everybody's doing this for free and everybody's busy and that includes me. So we put out seasons of 10 and when we are in the season, we put them out every two weeks and in order to, but it takes a lot more than two weeks to do each episode. Not that we're working for two weeks, but we're getting all fitting in in around our schedule. So how we do it is I start recording them and then it takes a long time. I sort of slowly, we sort of slowly get them done going back and forth with the duotone folks and we wait until we have i don't know five or six or maybe seven in the can and then we start releasing them every two weeks figuring that in the time it takes to get through those it'll be enough time for me to do the others that it takes to finish the season the last few and that's worked pretty well except we had a gap this season because we were too slow and which is why i'm doing this episode so that's why this is not current events. Sometimes you hear an episode and it was almost a year since it was recorded. If it's one of the first ones of the season and then the last ones of the season were sometimes recorded very recently. And we're in, in season four now and uh, hopefully not the last one. I mentioned that we all do this for free. You may have noticed also that there's no ads and that we don't ask you for money. There's no Patreon, no nothing. Furthermore, I have never tried to get anybody else to support this. We haven't looked for sponsors. I haven't asked Columbia University to contribute, to help in any way. And that's because, not because I don't love my job at Columbia. Uh, I've had a great career. But I didn't want this podcast to feel like it was part of my job. It's been important to me to feel that I was doing this for my own reasons, to put something meaningful out in the world. And that it was optional, that I'm doing it by choice. And the second it becomes 
just another thing with deadlines weighing me down. Uh, I have enough of that already and I just didn't want that to happen. So that determines the slow pace. You know, if we had, if we had a lot more support and help, maybe we could do it faster, but I just haven't wanted to do what it would take to get there. So now the last thing I want to talk about, the last group of people I want to talk about is the audience. And that's you. And uh, we don't really gather a lot of data on who our audience is. We don't work hard to solicit feedback. We don't get detailed information back from our service provider. We have a rough idea of the size of the audience, but really only a rough idea. But what I know is that at least a lot of our audience and maybe the overwhelming majority of it is people in the field. Other scientists, and especially, I think, early career, uh, graduate students and postdocs, And I say this because this is the people I hear from. I mean, I have my colleagues who I know, you know, friends who listen to it and tell me, but then I've had a lot of people more and more over the years either send me an email or a social media message or come up to me at a conference or wherever and tell me that they listen to the podcast. And this makes sense. I mean, when I was a graduate student, I would, it's, this podcast is what I would have wanted to hear. And that helps motivate me. I mean, it's the stuff we don't talk about in the workplace that much, but it's there. And if you go to the bar after the conference with a bunch of scientists, you'll hear this kind of stuff. And it's the culture. It's the culture of the field. It's, you know, we're all human and it's how the stuff really happens. We're excavating that here. And maybe there's not that many other places that do it. But anyway, so that's our audience. And I think there are others who are not in the field who listen to it, but other than a couple of more personal friends, I don't, you know, I don't hear from them. So as far as I know, that's the core of our audience is people in the field. And I'm absolutely fine with that. These are my people and I'm happy to, to talk to you guys and please do send us feedback. We don't work hard to solicit it, but it's easy enough to find me by email, social media, whatever. If you like the podcast, I mean, please don't be too critical because I'm fragile and I'm doing this, you know, for my own self satisfaction. And if I, and I need uh, emotional support to keep doing it. So, you know, if you hate it, maybe. You don't need to tell me that, but if you want to send us feedback, please do. We like, I like hearing from you. And I, and what, if I get particularly moving messages, which sometimes happens, I forward them to other members of the team so that they can see that what we're doing is doing something good for, for someone. So, I mean, I'm doing this for my own reasons and I've tried to talk about them here, but it wouldn't mean anything without people listening to it and uh, having a reaction and a response. So thank you for listening. Really, I mean, that's all I can say. Please, please keep listening. Please tell me what you think. Tell us what you think. And I hope it helps in some way. I hope it helps you in some small way as it helps me. And I think for the rest of the team, I mean, for everybody else who's been a part of it, uh, Melanie, Minnie, Pete, and the others at Duotone, uh, I think everybody feels that this is a meaningful thing. And so um, the meaning comes from you, the audience. So. Thank you for being a part of this experience with us. All right, that's it. I'm not going to do the credits today because that whole episode kind of was one big extended credits. So now you know all about everybody involved in this podcast, Deep Convection. And it's nice to know that I can sit and talk to a microphone in an empty room by myself and it doesn't come out sounding completely insane. So I will still do the 
ask me anything listener questions episode at least once, maybe more than once. And we'll be back, of course, with more guests for regular episodes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.